love, 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 love. Welcome back to another episode of the Level Up Podcast. This is Brandon Snipes, and today, the long-anticipated episode of The Archetype of the Lover. I've had several folks ask what's taking me so long to get this episode out, and uh, I just got back from a a long trip to the beach, a really fantastic trip, the first part of which was for the Level Up Retreat. We had eight guys go down to Panama City Beach, and we used these archetypes as a lens through which to to really examine our psychology and examine our path through lives. And we talked about the king, the warrior, the magician, and the lover. We talked about what it means to incorporate these uh, to become a man in full. And today on the fourth and possibly final masculine archetype podcast, we're going to talk about the lover. We're going to talk about the shadows of the lover. We're going to talk about the immature masculine versions, the boy versions of the lover, and the mature masculine versions. We'll talk about how the lover relates to the king, the warrior, and the magician. In many ways, the lover's an outsider and is not like the other three who are a little more decisive and active, whereas the lover seems to check and counterbalance the three of those in a more relational kind of way. So we'll unpack that shortly. So thank you for tuning in. Stay tuned as we get into the archetype of the lover. So in today's episode, I wanted to start by explaining what the properly situated lover looks like, the character traits, what it looks like when that energy is really vibrant and thriving. And then as we go on, I want to talk about the ways that that can be distorted in an immature way and in the mature masculine realm. So when you think lover, think connection, think relationship. This is going to be the guiding principle, the principle that will help check and balance the king and the warrior and the magician. The lover is passionate. The lover, properly situated, burns with passion. The lover is sensual. That is, has an appreciation for his senses. It does not make the healthy lover feel weak to connect emotionally, empathetically with others. The healthy lover can connect emotionally and empathetically with the natural world, with other people. The healthy lover is especially attuned to nature. He feels connection with every living thing. He senses a sort of spark of the divine, you could say an image of God, within the natural world and with other people especially. And this is precisely the part that makes acting decisively, making decisions, sometimes difficult for the lover. Because a decision is to kill off a potential source of creativity and life and what could be in favor of a potentially better life source. And the lover, because they see those glimmers and those sparks and hope and promises of beauty in all things, the decision comes hard. They have to partner with that warrior. You know, conversely, the warrior desperately needs the lover to function properly. We talked about that a little bit. It's the lover that drives the healthy warrior. If you think about the patriotic quest that a warrior may be on, who does he fight for? It's those he loves. And if he doesn't have someone he loves or an idea or a country or nation kingdom to fight for, that's when he starts to slip into those masochistic and sadistic shadow poles, the warrior, that is, where they're just hurting because they don't have something for which to fight. They don't have that loving, grounding connection. 
You know, in the same way the king needs the lover to check his boundaries. Part of what the king does well is sets boundaries, but the lover has to be there. You know, the lover does not like boundaries at all. In this way, the lover is kind of an outsider. But the lover understands, well, hey, if these walls are too thick or too high, if these boundaries are too big, no one can get in. Only those who are in the kingdom can be in. And the lover says, well, we need fresh faces. We need fresh ideas to come in because if the walls are too thick and if nothing updates on the inside of the kingdom, the kingdom can ossify and die. So that lover is in conversation with the king, letting the king know when those boundaries need to thin out, when the door needs to open to something else. The magician needs the lover. The magician is, is the guide, the one who takes others under their wing. But what motivates them to do that if not for a love and a connection? Well, if they don't have a love and a connection and a relationship with someone, then the reason they take someone under their wing might be selfish reasons. It might be manipulative, might be to make money off of them or to exercise power over them. And certainly these are ways that the shadow magician functions. We talked about that in the previous episode. So you see the way that the lover is an integral part of healthy being. So let's talk about the shadow versions of the lover, because I think it's just as helpful to talk about where the lover goes wrong, especially if you're trying to locate these energies and these archetypal patterns within yourself you will likely notice some of these shadow versions of the lover. So let's start with the boy psychology. The lover begins with a relationship with the mother. This is a universal relationship. The mother is, for many, uh, the mother's love or lack thereof comes to represent love in general. This is the first strong love or absence of love felt by a young child. So it starts to frame and shape the way that they view love in all aspects of life. And in Moore and Gillette's conception of the boy version of the lover archetype, they call it the Oedipal child, based on the story of Oedipus Rex, really Freud's interpretation, psychological interpretation of that story, where one's improper relationship, emotional, you could say almost emotionally ancestral relationship with the mother creates all sorts of problems. So the active shadow of the boy psychology of the Oedipal child is the mama's boy. This is the child who's connected at the hip with mom. And when I go through these and say child, you know, hopefully by this point, you don't just think of a little two-year-old or a one-year-old, but you could even think of the 45-year-old businessman or the 60-year-old who's never matured into the mature masculine. And you'll see some of these traits connected at the hip with mom. A man who's possessed by his shadow usually has problems sticking with one woman because of the way that his mother love occupies and expands and controls the way he views all females and all love in general. He has an unrealistic ideal of a woman, therefore, in his head, an immortal goddess of sorts. And you say, well, how is he ever going to satisfy that? And one of the ways that they may look to satisfy this is in nature. He feels like he can only experience that beautiful maternal presence by being enraptured in the natural world. This kind of mama's boy may prefer surface-level relationships, maybe virtual relationships with virtual women, uh, maybe addicted to pornography. We'll talk about the addicted lover these are all different attempts to connect with 
that divine feminine energy. So that's the active pole of the boy psychology. In the passive pole, it's the dreamer, the passive shadow. So the dreamer doesn't live in the real world searching for divine feminine energy. Instead, the dreamer lives in his own head. His dreams are either very sad or they're perfect beyond belief. Either way, this leads him to become withdrawn. So either the world is and always will be bleak and unwelcoming, and therefore I should just stay in my room because what's the point? Or you have this idealistic view of the world, this beautiful utopian dream of a perfect society, and it could be this way if only the systems changed, if only people got their act together and acted as I do or think I should. And that's just too overwhelming and unachievable, thus I'll just stay in my room. So both lead to that passive pole, that withdrawal. Oftentimes, someone in this passive pole will seek solace in, again, nature or art, even. Initiation is what's necessary to move this boy lover into the mature realm where he can be a truly balanced lover. In Iron John, I know I've referenced this Robert Bly book several times, but he goes through a five-step process of initiation, and step one of the process is particularly relevant to this archetype, and that is connection with and separation from the mother. You know, just really quickly, the other four, you have the connection with number two and disconnection from the father. You have the mentoring relationship that will happen with a male mentor or the male mother, as Bly calls it. You have apprenticing, number four, to a hurricane energy or a wild man energy that is okay with breaking down the social conventions and acknowledging the kind of deep primal roots within somebody. And then lastly, is the last part of that initiation process, as Bly describes it, is the marriage to the holy woman or to the queen. Much more to be said on that. But coming back to it, this first step, connection with and separation from the mother. There are so many pathologies, issues that arise because of a lack of one or both of those. So that requires a genuine connection attachment to mother. That is an important part of it. But then secondly, there has to be a break from mother. And typically in, in cultures where there were more formal initiation processes, the males, the elders, would come and take and lead that boy out of the mother's house and help set him up in his own house, put him through it, and give him new skills and show him the way of men, but without that, you have the mother clinging on sometimes because, God bless her, that's what she is there to do, is to nurture. And oftentimes, with the males out of the picture, the mother is left clinging on to this child and then now having to split themselves and figure out, well, how do I now push and pull this kid at the same time? And sometimes the kid, sensing this, will start to push himself away and then pull himself back, and you get locked in the struggle that was never intended to be to begin with. All that to say is the initiation process is the piece that moves the Oedipal child into the realm where he can be a mature lover. But we get to that realm of the mature lover, like I described at the beginning of this podcast episode, and there you have two poles as well, two shadows at the bottom of, if you want to picture it as a triangle with lover at top, and at the bipolar shadows down at the bottom, you have, first of all, the addicted lover, that's the active pole, and the impotent lover. So let's talk about the addicted lover. You know, I don't have to say a whole lot about this. That's the beauty of these archetypes. 
I can say addicted lover and already ideas, people, movies, stories, books come into your head about what the addicted lover looks like. Let's talk about what drives the addicted lover and the psychology of that. So the addicted lover wonders why there should be limits on his passion. Like I've said, the addicted lover does not like boundaries because boundaries separate and they disconnect and the lover's all about connection, but there's an issue with the overly addictive connectedness that becomes counterproductive for the addicted lover. So the addicted lover is a slave to his senses. We talked about the sensuality being an important part of the healthy lover, that they're in tune with their senses. But what happens when you are enslaved to your senses? The addicted lover has an inability to detach from his feelings and where those feelings lead. If they feel it, they go with it. Freak what you feel, you hear him say. I don't know who says that. I think social media something or other. But this is, again, where they need to be partnered with the warrior who can detach from the emotion. So being a man in full requires detaching from feeling, knowing the feeling is there, being able to check in with it, with the lover, but being able to say, this situation requires me to look critically at what I'm feeling, to take my thoughts and feelings captive. And you're doing that within yourself, within your own soul. The addicted, you know, obviously the, the defin- definitionally here, the addicted lover shows compulsive behavior that interferes with regular life. That's when you know it starts to become an addiction. The addict is eternally restless, always searching for the next adventure or conquest. They want to connect. They want to connect, and they're not getting it. And there's diminishing returns on their connection because they aren't true connections. They are surface-level sensual connections. So they're never satisfied with what they've done or who they are or who they're connected with. They always want more. The addicted lover can end up feeling very impotent when the things that they're passionate about are unreciprocated and not affirmed, not validated. They put work into creating this thing. Creation is in the realm of the lover, and they put it out here. There's a vulnerability to creating and and expressing something, and when it is not honored in the way they think it should be, that can lead to a feeling of humiliation and withdrawal into the impotent shadow. So let's talk about how the shadows with any of these archetypes are two sides of the same coin. So it's not, I have this shadow or I have this shadow. It's they flip back and forth at the drop of a dime. So let's look at the other side of the coin, the impotent lover. When I say that word, you know, I, I think about sometimes if I listen to the radio, I'll get these ads for erectile dysfunction uh, things. This is a big, a big issue. And uh, you know, I read recently in, in a book that it's particularly high erectile dysfunction. Didn't plan to talk about this on the episode, but here we are. Um, particularly high um, among young men who have anxiety about pleasing uh, a woman who they really care about. And that's where they see the highest rates of these things. And obviously there's other things on down the road in terms of testosterone levels and things. But ultimately the emotional and psychological and spiritual game are partly what undergird that. And you'll see what I'm talking about. So you could think of it in sexual terms, impotence. But I think I would encourage you to think of impotence as a lack of appetite for life, lack of a lust for life, a lack of a sense of purpose, a low life force, unable to connect. The things that the healthy lover can do 
the impotent lover cannot do. They can't connect. They can't find meaning in their own existence. They can't find meaning in their relationships. They're unable to take effective action. The impotent lover can't care for himself. He can't love himself. Therefore, he can't love others. He'll have difficulty holding down a job. He'll have difficulty maintaining relationships. He lacks a passion for anything. The impotent lover is chronically depressed, if you want to use clinical terms. They withdraw when they're confronted with serious relationships. Right? What is a serious relationship going to do? It's going to call them forth from the shadows into a vulnerable realm of intimacy, of sensuality, connecting emotionally with the senses, and the impotent lover would be terrified of that, and thus they withdraw further. Often the addict may come to save the impotent lover from their withdrawal. So you see the coin, boom, it flips. So the impotent lover goes from feeling powerless, no energy, and then all of a sudden they find themselves on a binge, on an addictive binge where they are indulging and their emotions are dragging them into the deep end and it's disrupting their life. And it's still devoid of proper love. And these bipolar shadows can swing back and forth. And many people I've talked to understand that feeling. They need the vision of the king. That's the purpose. Without a vision, the people will perish. Think about the addicted lover or the impotent lover like a car without a steering wheel. It's just a pumping engine and a foot on the pedal, but there's nothing guiding this. So how do we properly develop cultivate the healthy lover within us. And this might be if you have low lover energy in general. A lot of guys naturally are a little higher in the king, the warrior within them, but that connection doesn't come easy for multiple reasons. Or maybe the connection isn't the problem. It's the unhealthy connections. So you have no problem with that lover part of you, but it's out of control in an addictive way, and you find yourself oscillating between the other impotent pole, which just fuels the other pole, and that cycle continues. So here are some ideas, and I think it's very helpful to look at the Greek, to look at, you know, the Greeks had many words for love. So we say, what can we learn from the way that they conceived of love, and how do we develop these ideas of love within us to balance out proper love within us? You think about agape love, a selfless love. Am I seeking selflessly to the degree that I can do things altruistically? Am I seeking selflessly to serve others, to connect with others without ulterior motives in mind? Am I pursuing things like conversation, where I'm not just waiting for my turn to talk, but I'm genuinely listening to the other person, not just for their words or ideas, but for their heart. I want to hear their heart. I'm looking for an emotional connection. You might think of ludus, which is another type of love, according to the Greeks. This was the playful, friendly. Uh, you think about kids teasing each other and joking with each other. This is the kind of comedy, goofiness sort of love. These are usually in early, or in early phases of relationships that graduate on to, to deeper forms. They start with this. There's a playfulness. They can even look at marriages and judge the happiness and longevity of a marriage by how much of this ludus love is present. Is there still a playfulness? And this can go away if you don't pay attention to it. And remember, attention is in the domain of the warrior. 
the warrior's eyes are open. The vision of the king, the planning and the ordering of the king. You need these things there to keep an eye on the lover within yourself and to cultivate them actively. In eros, which is a more romantic, sensual type love, you know, maybe you say, well, I only have this kind of love and I, I need to work on just the more playful friendship kind of love where I can laugh and joke and play games with others and not have to escalate it where the only thing I want out of a relationship is something sensual and erotic. We get the word erotic from eros. But you could think of eros in other terms. You could think, you know, ultimately eros or eroticism, you think about the goal being the proliferation of life, of procreation, which ultimately when you're looking at a partner deep down or maybe consciously, if, if we're there, we're thinking about what are the values that I'd like to see more of in the world? And we end up bonding with, connecting with, mating with somebody that we see those values in and we want more of to be proliferated in the world. But there's other ways to do that than just childbirth. That's mentorship. That's taking that which you value and teaching it and cultivating that within someone else in the next generation. So that might be another form of eros. So the lover needs the courage of the warrior to approach somebody or something that they desire, especially if that thing is intimidating and beautiful and transcendent to them. They're never going to make that connection if they don't have that warrior. And how many people do you know, particularly I think young men and even older men, in that boy psychology phase that are unable to approach the thing that they love and want to connect with, and then that just drives them further into the impotent lover or into the mama's boy. Conversely, the warrior and the king desperately need the lover to humanize, to relationalize, I don't know if that's a word, the person or thing so that it's not simply seen as a battle to be won or an object to be conquered. But the lover talks to the king, talks to the warrior, talks to the magician, says this is a real person with a real beating heart, with real feelings, with real emotions, and we need to treat it accordingly. Other ways to develop the lover within us, listening to music. So I do some life coaching, and one of the things that I do is I use this king, warrior, magician, lover model as a way to develop men in full. And so, for instance, one weekly task for the lover might be put on music alone or with others, and dance. Feel yourself. Dance. That goofiness, that awkwardness in your body, that thing that you quit doing when you were five years old because you're self-conscious, what might be unlocked if you allow yourself to put that music on and just go ham for three minutes and move? What parts of you are you not in touch with there that might be useful in other parts? So that lover, that connection with our senses. In short, if you struggle with the lover, existing at all, you could practice feeling. Put on music, not as an escape, but as a way to connect with the world of that song. Put it on and intentionally listen and feel. Go out and spend time in nature, not as a retreat or not as a search for the divine mother, but go out there to connect and to sense and smell and to taste and to observe and to feel and get in the dirt these are the ways to connect the senses to the world around you. Prioritize, like I said, real conversations. Listen for the heart. Allow yourself to be vulnerable. Focus on the things that don't give immediate satisfaction, particularly if you find yourself in that addicted lover shadow frequently. Focus on things that don't give immediate 
satisfaction. A slow morning ritual. Consistency. Boring consistency. Bore your life up. Practice patience. So now that we have explored the lover, even though it's been a cursory overview, I hope you've taken something from that. So just to recap the last several episodes that we've been talking about, the mature masculine archetypes, I encouraged us early on to think about these things as four voices around the decision-making table of our minds. In other words, you've got the king, the warrior, the magician, the lover sitting around a round table, and the idea is to turn up the volume, to tune up the voices so that the four of these harmonize into a beautiful choir and that we're not dominated and animated by an imbalance in these four energies. So to recap, you get a picture of the man in full when all four of these bring their true essence to the table. The king provides order, fertility, and blessing. The warrior establishes dominance and presence. The magician guides us through life. The lover creates passion. So we have order, presence, guidance, passion. A picture of a man in full. I want you to imagine what a father, what a husband, what a son, what a brother, what a, uh, a male leader in a business, what a coach, etc., what a spiritual leader would look like if what they brought to the table was order, presence, guidance, and passion in the healthiest and truest sense of those terms. It has been an absolute wormhole to go down learning about these archetypes. And as I prepare and research for these, it always feels like what I present is just the tip of the iceberg. If even that, I feel like I'm barely scratching the surface. So I, I hope to, in putting these out here for you, give you just a, a taste, a teaser. And if you want to go further, go further in your own research if you find that helpful. But at the very least, I hope this provides you good tools that you can start to do the work on yourself, that you can start removing that log out of your own eye before we start pointing out the specks in our brother's eye. There's lots of ways we can use this information to, oh, well, that's so-and-so, that's so-and-so, but I encourage us to look within. These are four things that live within us especially for my men out there. And I know I have women listening who have asked about the feminine archetypes and I hope to at some point get to explore those on the podcast as well. But for my men out there, I want to encourage you to pursue being a man in full. I hope to in a future, in an in a upcoming podcast episode, take a deep dive into the way that Jesus in the Bible is a perfect depiction of the man in full and even use these archetypal lenses to see the way that he is the perfect king, the perfect warrior, the perfect magician, the perfect lover, and that maybe even these archetypes could give us another glimpse of what it means to live like Christ. I hope you have an amazing day. Aim up, level up.